following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Good morning. Is that good enough? All right. Let's pray together. Lord, I just want to thank you so much um, for being the ones who sustains us day in and day out. I want to thank you um, through your Christ or through your Son, Lord. Um, you've restored us to yourself. I'm thankful that we can praise you and worship you, and that there are so many words that we can give about your characteristics, Lord, and your attributes. Um, I just pray that you would be with us. Let's call this in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. So, when I originally started to write this message, my ori- original opening question was going to be if anybody knew what Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, talked about. And thankfully, um, if you remember back two weeks ago, Mark Bickford um, (laughs) shared his message. And uh, I was actually really glad to hear that because that verse talks about um, the Great Commission. And I think we can always use a reminder of what Christ's instructions were to us. And so I'm going to read that passage. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. So in here, verses 18 to 20, we are given the Great Commission. But what does that mean? In other words, the Great Commission are the instructions that Christ gave to his followers in order to be a part of his plan for the church. I'll say that again. The Great Commission are the instructions that Christ gave to his followers in order to be a part of his plan for the church. And these instructions the disciples are given include to make more disciples, baptize them, and to make sure that they are taught. And so this morning we're going to turn to the book of Acts and see how the apostles understood this command and how they lived that out. And so our scripture is going to be Acts chapter 13, and I believe that's going to be page 921 in the Pew Bible. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who has been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God, and in the synagogue of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Now when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus an intelligent man, but this, uh, this man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O oh, full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, 
and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed uh, when he saw that what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now when Paul and his party set sail to Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jer- Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up, and motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years, he put them up in their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterwards, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when they had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. After John had first preached uh, before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me whose sandals I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham and those who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from a tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise of which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this uh, for us, their children, and that he raised up Jesus, as so it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another Psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. But he who God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that though this man is, uh, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, uh, lest it, what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which will by no means believe, though no the one were to declare it to you. So when the Jews went out to the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. 
But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. In contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. When Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should come and be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have sent you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord, and as many had been appointed to eternal life believed. And as the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region, but the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from this feet, uh, from their feet against them, and came to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Okay. <clears throat> so as you can see, there's a lot there um, in those verses, and I tend to personally geek out on this particular passage of Scripture, um, so I'm going to try to stick with my notes. <laughs> oh, I will. So here at the beginning of chapter 13, we have Paul and Barnabas being sent out from the local church. Uh, but what we should be observing here is how they were sent out. Two separate times before this chapter in the book of Acts, we have people who are being placed in the position of serving the church. And the first person was chosen by casting lots. And the second was by selecting men of good reputation and having the elders lay hands on them. In this case, in one way or another, the Holy Spirit made it known to the leaders in Antioch that Paul and Barnabas were being called to this specific work. The job of the leaders then was to pray over Paul and Barnabas and affirm this calling. So the principle for us then is that we must be receptive to the work of the Spirit when he moves. Now, that's how Paul and Barnabas were sent off from Antioch. And once they were uh, sent off, they start making their way to different locations and they start forming a pattern of what they do when they get there. Now, I told you I can geek out a lot, and so I'm going to be, I'm letting you now know that I've allowed myself this section um, to geek out. So before I went to Bix, uh, oh, uh, sorry, before I went to Bix um, and took a class to um, biblical geography, I would read these sections of Acts and have no idea why Paul was going to these places or where these places were. Um, but once I took a class and started understanding the geography, I gained a whole new understanding of Paul's missionary journeys. And if we took a look at Paul's missionary journey, uh, which is covered in this morning's scripture, we can see the path that Paul took to get uh, to these different places. So let's take a quick look at a few of these scriptures. Uh, so this is all contained in Acts 13. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. So the apostles left Antioch, which was a major city at that time, and they sailed down to Seleucia, which was a port city. Um, and then they sailed to the island of Cyprus, and at first they arrived in Salamis first. And then they made their way through the entire island, um, and when they came to the end of it, they encountered an opportunity to teach the gospel in Paphos. And after this um, encounter, Paul and Barnabas continued to move on, and so they sailed north. Uh, so in verse 13, Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath and sat down. Now when you look at this map, you can see that the route 
that Paul took um, might make some sense. Well, to me, it didn't. If you look at the map, you can see that it's further to go from Perga to Antioch than it is to go from Perga to Lystra. And you can trust me because I measured it. Uh, It's exactly one quarter of an inch, at least on my screen. Uh, So why does Paul take this longer route instead of the more direct one? Well, for one, the route that he takes uh, places him along closer to water, which is more important on these longer journeys. And another reason is because people who were traveling by foot Um, They had to walk through the valleys in order to navigate the mountains at the time. Um, There were, of course, no tunnels or roads that went around the mountains, uh, which made traveling easier. So I looked at Google Earth, and I learned that that entire region um, from Perga to Lystra is nothing but mountainous region. So on his journey, Paul was strategic about making his decisions. That, and he had the guidance of the Holy Spirit and where he was to travel. And reliance on the Holy Spirit is another principle that we should be taking away from this section of Scripture. And as I mentioned before, Paul started to develop a pattern of what he was doing on his missionary journeys. Paul's pattern usually went like this. He would come to a strategic city, preach the word of God, gather believers, inform a local church, and finally instruct them in God's truth. After leaving Antioch, Paul and Barnabas used this model in Cyprus and in Antioch in Pisidia. Paul and Barnabas went to the synagogues and preached the word in both of these places. And in verses 13 to 41, we're given more detail about what that preaching looked like. And in verses 13 to 41, Paul preached in the synagogues in order to bring the good news to, of Christ to the Jews, God's chosen people. Because the Gospels weren't written yet, Paul does this by recalling sections of history recorded in the Old Testament that each Jewish man listening would have been familiar with at the time. And uh, he reminds them of their ancestors' time in Egypt, in the wilderness, the conquest of Joshua, and the reign of Saul, of King David. And Paul uses these accounts to show his audience that all of them point to Christ. Paul wants them to know that Jesus was the Passover lamb during their time in Egypt, that he is the perfect judge, that he is the king of all kings, and the son of God who the prophets spoke about. In verses 42 to 52, we can see that Paul and Barnabas are trying to instruct the gathered believers in the core truths of God. In this section of scripture, those who were hungry for the word of God were the Gentiles. They begged Paul and Partibus to stay with them and to continue uh, to share the word of God. Once they received the truth, scripture says that the disciples in Antioch were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And all of these steps that I've mentioned uh, make up half of what the scholars call the Pauline cycle. And I believe that we have it right here on the screen, but it's kind of small, so... If you could pass those out, there's going to be some uh, sharing. So this Pauline cycle is an outline that helps us see how Paul and Barnabas lived out the instructions they received from Jesus. We see that wherever they went, they preached the gospel, and that although they faced opposition, they didn't let it waver their trust that God will advance his word no matter what. And many of these new converts were persecuted along with Paul and Barnabas, but God used those who fled to different places to spread the gospel. So this past week, um, I was in Alton Bay working at Sports and Music Camp, and the theme for this week was Greater Kingdom. And Luke Middleton, who was a speaker, chose to preach on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And how he approached it was, um, uh, though it came to light in Matthew of, uh, I'm sorry, in light of Matthew 4, verse 17, which says, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Now, the reason why I love the book of Acts so much is because it gives us an account of what the early church desperately, or what the early church, um, which was desperately awaiting the greater kingdom. And their hope for a greater kingdom affected the way that they lived as well. And so it's my hope today that, uh, my hope and prayer today that uh, we would also be living in a way that shows our faith in the greater kingdom that's to come. Amen. Amen. I'll have the worship band come up as we close in prayer. Lord, I just want to thank you um, so much for your word. Um, You gave us instructions that we were specifically supposed to follow in order to um, assist here on earth the furthering of your kingdom. Uh, Lord, and I pray that we would take that call seriously. Um, I pray that wherever we go, whether it's in um, the local store, our work, even our homes to uh, our children, Lord, that we would just continue to spread your name um, and that we would be taking the call seriously to not only be making converts, Lord, but to be making disciples, um, taking that commitment seriously. That's just a, that's a long-term commitment, Lord. It's not just teaching them one or two times, but it's to be walking through life with them, Lord, and um, just walking hand-in-hand hand, um, and teaching them what it means to be a Christian um, and following your Son. So I ask all this in your Son's name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.